So as I said just a moment ago, we are in the season of Advent, and Advent is a time where Christians the world over recognize our humanity. We recognize that we're incomplete people, that we're still, uh, there's still aspects of our character, aspects of our lives that feel less whole, that we're waiting, we're longing for something more. And so, as I said before, this is a season in which we reflect on certain qualities that we find their fullness in God and God alone. And that is hope and peace and love and joy. And today we're going to uh, look at the quality of, of love. And, I, and today we're going to do that by looking at uh, the gospel account found in Matthew of Joseph and Joseph's experience uh, with the coming of the Christ child. And it's not an experience that actually makes him super comfortable. I'm going to go ahead and read from uh, uh, Matthew 1. I'm actually going to read it from here because I, I think I have a slightly uh, a different uh, translation. But you can follow along with me either on your phone or uh, on the monitor here. This is what the Word of God says. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you were to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is God's word. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, in commenting on the beauty of beauty in the beast, he said that the main lesson here is that a thing must be loved before it's lovable. A thing must be loved before it's lovable. In other words, we cannot give away that which we don't possess. We can't be a loving presence in the world unless we've experienced what true love actually is. And that, in some sense, is a lesson that we can learn from this uh, passage regarding Joseph, the woman he loves, and the child that, they, that awaits. And let's learn just three simple things from this passage. Uh, let's look at Joseph's dilemma. Let's consider Joseph's dream. And then let's reflect a little bit on Joseph's decision. So Joseph has a uh, dilemma, right? Uh, then he interacts with a dream, and then he has to face a decision. So let's look at the First, let's look at the, the dilemma. Joseph actually has two dilemmas here. The first dilemma is the situation that he and Mary are facing, but the second dilemma is actually Joseph himself. The passage here describes Joseph as a faithful man, a, faith, a man faithful to the scriptures. It describes him in other translations as a just man, a righteous man. And we see here that in his interaction with Mary in what is an incredibly difficult circumstance, he is trying to be tender he's trying to be loving but the question i think that we should consider is is he loving enough 
Is he loving enough for the circumstances of his life? Are we? Are we loving enough to, to be a loving presence in this world? And how do we know? How, what, how do we gauge whether we actually have the love that the world actually requires, that the world actually needs? How do we know? Well, oftentimes, we discover that through trials. We discover that through dilemmas, because it's in the crucible of our lives that the truth actually comes out, isn't it? And so what is his, that's his first dilemma. That's the dilemma that is Joseph himself, but it's also our dilemma too. Uh, but what is the dilemma that he's actually facing? Well, Joseph's dilemma is Mary's dilemma. This is an ancient couple facing an unexpected pregnancy. Now, when we think about unexpected pregnancies, um, I want to be very mindful. I want to be very protective, sympathetic to uh, them as a couple facing an unexpected pregnancy, but that's true of any couple facing an unexpected pregnancy at any time. Because those situations are so fraught with fear and anxiety and confusion. And you can imagine Joseph and Mary, there is also a deep sense of of doubt, frustration, sadness that's taking place within them. So we want to be very careful as we talk about uh, unexpected pregnancies. And I would imagine that they are not unlike so many other people, that they live out of a deep sense of love. And yet when they are faced with a, a particular circumstance, when they're faced with a crisis, instead of living out of this, this love, this loving ideal, they revert to a kind of pragmatism. And of course, that's true of anybody expecting an unexpected pregnancy. But it's especially true with Mary because there's never been an unexpected pregnancy like Mary's. Versus the most unexpected pregnancy of all. Because the scriptures tell us that this child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so suddenly, in a season of what it should have been tremendous joy for Mary and Joseph and their families, all of a sudden they are in a tremendous amount of pain. Um, in that time, when couples were betrothed, what that essentially means is that they were they were fianced together, but they had they were legally binding obligations. That they were as good as being married, and in some very real sense, it's almost impossible as much as Joseph would have wanted to have uh, to divorce her quietly. In that culture, this would have been a scandal of epic proportions. Shame would have been thrust upon both of these families. Maybe the security of each of these families is in jeopardy forever. Uh, this was an incredibly scandalous uh, uh, event or circumstance. And in some circumstances in that time and place, uh, being an unwed mother was a criminal offense. So you can imagine the questions that are running through Joseph's mind. Do I have enough love to commit to this woman within the mysteries and the, and the disappointment of this pregnancy? Do I have enough love to commit to her in the face of public shame and scandal? Do I have enough love within uh, myself to carry these burdens right along with her? Do I have enough love to raise a child that's not my own? Now, as you read this passage, we're reading it in hindsight, right? We know what's just around the corner. We know who this child is, but if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, what decisions would we make? 
you know, we cannot, because we know what we know, we can't help but go, Joseph, can you, Joseph, operate out of a greater love. Allow that love, that greater love to give you wisdom, to give you courage, to commit to her in a sacrificial way. Joseph, I know you can do it. But Joseph, the question is, 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 is responsible as Joseph is trying to be here. Is he loving enough? Does he have enough love for this kind of situation? Um, and I think the answer is no, he doesn't. But there's two people in this situation, isn't there? This isn't just a story about Joseph. It's also a story about Mary. And this has been thrust upon Mary, but Mary is responding in a very different way because she knows something that Joseph doesn't know. The love that Mary needs, the love that Joseph needs to act loving in this situation is actually coming. The love that they need is coming. The love that they actually desire and that the world needs is actually growing in Mary. Advent is all about waiting for the great love of the universe, and that is all taking place within the womb of this teenage girl. And so out of that, she's her, that love is able to speak to her fear. So she knows something that, that Joseph doesn't know. And unless he knew that love, he would never be able to make the kind of decisions that he needs to be able to make right now in this given time. So Joseph has love. He's a good man. He's a righteous man. He's a faithful man, but it's not enough. But God's love is, and he discovers that. Joseph discovers that in the dream. Let's just think about this dream in three ways. What does Joseph learn from this dream? Joseph learns from this dream that there's, he learns a truth, he learns a task, and he learns a title. And it changes everything. He learns a truth, a task, and a title in this dream. And this is a strange dream because it's actually fairly unclear whether he's sleeping or not. What it actually says is that Joseph uh, is thinking so deeply about this. His eyes, in a sense, his eyes are wide open. He's lost in thought. And in being lost in thought, that's when this dream takes place. That's when he's confronted by the angel. And what does the angel tell him? The angel tells him that Mary is telling the truth. That this woman tells no lies. He validates her. He says, God is committed to her. Why shouldn't you be in effect? And so this truth comes to him. So it's the truth about Mary, but it's also about the truth of Joseph and all of, of uh, the ways that you and I can relate to, to Joseph and that we often cannot see our own given circumstances. So Joseph has a dream with his eyes wide open. And that harkens back to other areas of Matthew and, and, and the book of Isaiah, where uh, the prophets say what? They say, upon the world a light is dawned. Upon the world, a light is dawned. Now, what, what one commentator says, what the, what the prophets are not saying is, from the world, a light is dawned. They're saying, upon the world, a light is dawned. And here's Joseph with his eyes wide open, trying to process this information, trying to make the very best decision, but his, in his own mind and in his own heart. So he, in the ideal he wants to live out of a love narrative, he actually reversed pragmatism, which means that he's operating in spiritual darkness. That he's blind. 
that as much as he wants to do the right thing, he's too afraid to face the shame of a culture. He's too afraid, afraid, uh, afraid to enter into the complexity of a relationship with a woman who he wants to believe, but he's not certain, certain that he can. But something beautiful happens in this dream. A light has dawned upon him. A light has dawned, not just upon the world, but has dawned upon Joseph. So what that means, this commentator says, is, is that Christmas, if Christmas is true, then Christmas is not a sentimental, uh, sentimental uh, holiday experience. It should be, Christmas should be the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. Because as you go through life, you, you're able to say, I am not the hope of the world. Mankind is not the hope of the world. Mankind is hopeless in the world, but a light has dawned on us. And therefore, we're able to look at the, our lives and the problems of our lives with a tremendous sense of humility, with actually real grit to say, I don't have enough love for the problems that the world actually has. I need something more. And so that's the truth that he experiences. The truth is, Mary's telling the truth. The child at her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. What's the other truth? That we're blinded by our spiritual darkness. But in this child, the light has come. Then he's given a task. Now in this list, you can see, you see a bunch of tasks that he's charged to do. But the essential task begins with, do not fear. I want you to marry this girl and do not fear. And what, is, what he's essentially do is he's binding in that. He's, he's, he's promising Joseph nothing but trouble for the rest of his life. Nothing but heartache and sorrow for the rest of his life. And the same problems that he's now running from, they're going to remain with him for the remainder of his days. He will carry the shame and the scorn that Mary will experience, and they'll do it together. Forever, he's going to be burdened by these rumors about whose boy is this actually. He's going to father him anyway. Uh, he's going to have to raise a child that's not his own. Joseph will take on the shame and the scorn and the end, even the evil from kings like Herod. But, but the angel tells him, do not fear. Take her as your bride. And of course, what he's essentially saying is, um, is that you can't be afraid of the unknown. But I'm with you. All love casts out fear. But love is at work in your life, though you cannot see it. Trust. Move forward in, in, in faith. Move forward and have no fear. But how will, will Joseph do that, who struggles not right now? How will he learn to do that? He needs to remember what we're remembering here in Advent. That the love that Joseph needs is actually coming. That the love that Joseph needs is actually promised. Now, what is that particular love? So we have uh, a truth that he's been told, a task given, don't fear. And then how can he not fear? By these particular titles that are given here in this passage. And the titles I'm referring to are the titles of Emmanuel, which the, the baby is going to be called, and Jesus. Now, of course, Emmanuel means God with us. And Jesus means salvation. 
And so what that means is that God is with Joseph and Mary in order to bring salvation. And he's doing that through this child. Uh, excuse me, I lost my place. And so based on those ideas, on, on that reality, Joseph now has enough to face his particular fears. And the fact that he's also uh, in the line of the king of King David, it is he's able to actually say this isn't just a hope and dream, a subjective uh, uh, hope and dream that I have. But he's also able to say, but this was what was always promised in history. This is actually objective reality. This that's coming. It's, I, I was I'm meant to await this. The prophets have, have promised that this is going to come. And it's based on these three things in this particular dream, which is unlike any dream I've ever had, because he remembers these things. It's out of, out of recognizing a truth and, and, and having a task and the relief that comes from these titles, that love is coming. And it's not a kind of love that is going to fluctuate up and down to give based on circumstances, right? But it's a love because it's a person that will be consistent and true. You know what the Bible says about what love is, right? The Bible says that God is love. But the scriptures also say that Jesus is love incarnate. And so the reality that God is with us means for Mary and Joseph, despite whatever situation that they face, they will have a love that will never cease. They'll have a love that will never fade. They'll have a love that will, that will you know, I uh, was doing some reading this week with some friends, and they described you know, God's love is not like an arrow shot into the air and eventually loses steam and falls into the ground. God's love is shot through the universe and it gains speed as it goes. And so his presence and his love with Joseph and Mary is going to see them through. And that helps him with a particular decision. And this is our last point. Joseph immediately wakes up from the dream and all of a sudden he's transformed by he, he makes a decision. You see him flip through three things very quickly. And what is that decision? He basically just surrenders his life to God. And in surrendering his life to God, he surrenders his fears to God. Because he now knows what we know, what we celebrate in Christmas. Uh, because he knows what we know, Joseph gives up the right to be in charge of his own life. What kind of love is that? That just you you say, okay, I surrender. I give myself over to you. Not only do you know more than I do, you you feel more than I do, you love more than I do. You give that you he surrenders his life over to God. He gives up the right to be in charge of his own life, and so he swiftly moves to honor Mary in in marriage. He moves. Uh, he feels called to. Uh, uh, to protect her in her calling as uh, the mother of the son of God. He ensures that there's no confusion whatsoever as to how this child came about. He protects that story. He recognizes that this is God's son and not his own. And therefore he, he surrenders probably the great, one of the great privileges uh, in the, in the Jewish culture. And that is passing down a name. He surrenders that right. He's obedient to God, and he names this boy Jesus. And so what can we learn 
what we learned is that although our lives are so complicated and circumstances can be so complex, pragmatism is the, the most pragmatic and loving thing you can do is actually just do the thing. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it, but obeying God, obeying God is always the right decision. Submitting to his love because he is love. And if you do that, when we do that, whatever situation we find ourselves in, you can know that you'll be more loving, not less. Not less. So he surrenders his, his life to God. And what that means is that he's no longer negotiating with God. He's no longer saying, Lord, if you give me this, then I'll do that. He's not hedging his bets. He's opening up every door. He's allowing him into every area of his life. He says, you come in, give me wisdom and give me courage. And of course, we need that if we want to be the kind of people that God is calling every human to be, which is to be a loving person. To love the Lord with your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. But how, do, how does God most specifically express that? In one sense, he does it at Christmas, right? By giving us his presence. But the best place to look for how God loves is at the cross, because he doesn't just give us his presence, but he changes places with us. And there is nothing less pragmatic, you might say, than the cross. God goes so far out of his way so that we might know his love. He penetrates history, comes down into, uh, into and takes on the form of, of a person. And for 33 years, he just, he becomes a schmuck. Nobody knows anything about him. You can imagine how uncomfortable that must have been, right? To be the size, out, to be outside, you know, have the immensity of one outside the universe to be sort of confined and trapped within a human body. And he does that. And then he lives a life and he goes to the cross. And how does he respond in the time of the crisis? He stays on the cross. Why? Because of his great love for us. He takes on suffering because he sees his own children are in danger. And I think, I think one of the things that we can learn and about Joseph and actually take a tremendous amount of comfort in our own lives, and there's mystery here. But I think, you know, Jesus was, Joseph was uh, the adopted father, shall we say, of Jesus. And I think it's fair to say that Jesus probably was tutored or fathered more by his heavenly father than by his earthly father. But there are things I think that he must have learned from Jesus, and one of them is, is to suffer in silence. You know, there's not a word in the scriptures that is written down that came out of the mouth of Joseph. And he, he had a life of tremendous suffering. Tremendous suffering, yet he does it with grace and poise and dignity. It shows what true leadership can look like. Real humility there. All poured out of love. And of course, when Jesus goes to the cross, what does he learn? What does he demonstrate? It says this, that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he, being Jesus, not uh, he opened not his mouth. Now because Jesus did this for us, 
should we, we be living on pins and needles about uh, how we live in the world? Maybe not pins and needles, but maybe we should look at the world not so much as a playground, but a classroom for lunch. That, uh, that the world or our lives is not a holiday, but it's all an education about how we can live and love each other that much more. Uh, Henry Drummond says that, that the one eternal lesson for all of us is how can we love better? How can we grow so that we are more sacrificial towards one another and every act of love because it was given by grace should in some sense feel like grace. When we extend love to somebody else, we do it because we know that somebody's done it for us, which means we go out of our way. That it often means we're going to feel uncomfortable. But we do it out of a joy, out of a love, that somebody, because somebody by grace has given that to us. But also, when somebody extends love to us, that we're able to receive it. To receive it and, and to be able to say, thank you, I appreciate it. Thank you, I need it. I need that kind of love. Because I'm not full, I'm not whole yet. But the promise of Christmas and the promise of the gospel is that one day we will be. Advent is about waiting for the love or remembering the love that we've experienced in Jesus, but it's also remembering that one day he's coming again. Based on that first promise, you can trust the second. Let's remember that so that we might be more loving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son. I thank you for the season of Advent. Uh, Lord, whether in dreams or whether we're wide awake, would you give us such an experience of your love that we would not be afraid of love as you have loved us in Christ. We long to be more sacrificial, more grace-oriented, and we await the day where we actually will pray this in his name. Amen.